The chances are you've had several Christmases that you remember, and you've probably had a few disasters, too. Um, one of the Christmases that my siblings always talk about is the Christmas when we still lived in New Hampshire when I was maybe three or four years old and I wanted a pony and I got a sister. Uh, and uh, that, that seems to come up about every time we're together. Uh, another one was uh, our first Christmas in Sydney, Australia. It's the middle of summer there. And, uh, uh, and, and, I, I just we just didn't know how Christmas was celebrated in Australia. Uh, one of the things that I was really looking forward to do was surfing on Christmas Day. I thought that was a great idea, but instead, the Anglican Church that we were staff uh, a part of had six services: three Christmas Eve and three Christmas Day. So there wasn't much left, okay, because I had to be at all of them and take part in all of them. But that very first Christmas, first time that. I had been away from my family, and we had moved overseas, and we had moved in September, so it was only three months later. Um, it, it was getting strange, and we got these invitations from people. Uh, we didn't necessarily know them well yet, but one was a German immigrant family, and they had this uh, large house, uh, single story, uh, and, and they invited us to their Christmas dinner and or a Christmas Eve dinner and they because it was so hot they would serve cold cuts and they would serve uh, shrimp and it was just a delightful time but in the midst of that they made it like they were still living back in Bavaria with the toasting and everything else so it's 95 degrees outside but inside there's the warmth of a family that we were picking up their traditions that we we just couldn't we still cherish those times. We still really love them. And um, so this is my 66th. And I don't remember all of them, but this is my 66th Christmas. And um, maybe like you, you might notice that even though there's some that are very special for a variety of reasons, maybe this one doesn't look that special or maybe a lot of them in the past are like a blur. Uh, nothing sticks out about them. And, and I just want to say, I would understand that. To expect that each Christmas would be like the angel descending and saying, Lo, I bring you good news of great joy. I mean, that was a Christmas for those who were there. But for most of us, we're going to be looking at the traditions we have, the people we'll be spending the time with, Maybe the food, maybe the worship service, maybe all of these things. But in a way, it won't be that different. It won't be something that knocks our socks off. It won't be something that bowls us over with surprises. And so if you're like me and have experienced a lot of Christmases, it, it may be that as I approach Christmas, I've got all my beliefs down correct. Okay? Jesus. I know who he is. I know what the word incarnation means. I know what virgin birth means. I got all of those beliefs down correct. But it's been a while since I have focused on that angel's announcement and experienced great joy. If Christmas has become like a series of traditions and events for you, that's not a bad thing. I don't mean that at all. But it's easy to lose the personal effect that God intends for us to experience every Christmas. So... 
Maybe a lot of you, like me, are starting to put together the, the to-do list, everything that has to happen before the 24th, and the list gets longer and longer and longer, and you, you love to go back and check things off. And, and if you're putting that together, may I ask, when is the last time on your list that you had be in awe of for 15 minutes? Be in awe for 15 minutes of what Christmas means and help those around me do the same. You see, that thing on the to-do list does, does not seem that essential. So this Christmas, I have two words from a great man by the name of Peter. Uh, we call him the Apostle Peter. But this is the same Peter who once looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, please get away. You're just too much for me. You're too holy, and I'm a sinful man. This is the same Peter who once said to Jesus, Lord, if it really is you, have me walk out on the water to you. And Jesus said, come. And for a few seconds, he was walking on the water, and then he was drinking a lot of water. Uh, It's the same one who had to look at Jesus and say three times, Lord, you know I love you. But apparently from my experience and my my track record, I only love you this much. It is the same one who saw the living Christ. It is the same one that he had been following Christ for all those years and realized even though he saw the risen Christ, he just wasn't sure about how special following Christ would be for him. So Peter is writing to a group of Christians in in his second letter. And as he's writing to those Christians, understand that they've been Christians for about 20 or 30 years. They have heard about Jesus. Uh, They knew about Jesus. They, they, They put their faith in Jesus. But after 20 or 30 years, they hadn't seen all the special things. It hadn't been quite as exciting as it was before. And so Peter says to them, I've got... Two words for you. The first is, in your Christian life, if you've been a Christian for a while, you need reminders. I want to remind you about something. When we're reminded, it's sort of a memory opening up those neural pathways and, and, and going back to something of, uh, 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 of days gone by. But, but the other term that he uses is, I want to awaken you. And I like the term, uh, rekindle. I use the word rekindle because most nights in winter, uh, I go home and when I get home, I put down the shades and I go to my uh, wood stove and I I stoke it and I try to start again so that it goes from the low 60s to the high 70s and we're pretending we're in Miami. Um, and, and, And so the whole house get warm. But to do that, I have to restart it every night. I have to rekindle the flames that had died down. So he uses these two terms. I I write this to remind you, and I also write to rekindle something, to freshly awaken in you about those first days of your relationship with Jesus. So for those of you who have been Christians for a while, would you use those two words for the next month? Remind, rekindle. Rekindle the wonder of God's love shown to us by sending his only son. Well, to understand what it means to remind and rekindle, the focus then first has to come upon Jesus uh, and, and what it means for Jesus and who he was to come to earth. God's only son, whom the father sends to humanity, because why? Because he loves to try an experiment? No, it's done because he loves us so much.
It's a gift of his love. But often when we think of love, it's, it's like, oh, I have this wonderful, ooey, gooey feeling for you. It's like a romantic love. And uh, this, is, this is a gift with a purpose behind it. It's not just a feeling. So we begin with who is this Jesus? And in the passage that was read to us this morning, John chapter 1, verses 14 to, to 18, uh, it says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This was written by John. John writes most of his letters towards the end of his life, and he died, we think, of old age. So we're, we're looking at more towards the end of the first century. In other words, John has been a believer for 40, 50, maybe even 60 years. And in this gospel, this man John calls Jesus the word or God's expression to humanity. The expression is not one that's in a book or a movie, but he says this expression of God was in a real human form, a real live person. There's nothing about God that God wants us to know about him that we cannot learn by looking at Jesus. There's nothing about God that he wants us to know about him that we can't learn by looking to Jesus. So John is careful to put into words uh, more than maybe we can fully absorb. But he is very clear that God becomes a man and he lives with us. He makes his home, not in heaven, but God makes his home on earth in a body that looks a lot like our bodies. And understand that when we think about Jesus, it's not the package that he comes in, though that package is miraculous that God would take on flesh. But it's the contents of the package. It's the contents. It's what's inside. All of God lives in all of Jesus. So he is more than just another human. He is God. And John and the others who spent time with him, they call themselves the eyewitnesses to that glory that, that Jesus shows as he comes to earth. And part of that glory says that he is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Not half full or half empty. Not mostly full or mostly empty. But full of grace and truth. Uh, a few months ago, I wrote an email to my children and telling about something going on in my life. And uh, one of the children wrote back very wisely and very affirmingly, Dad, once again, you put it in a very gracious way. And I read that. I went, oh, that's so cool. I like that. You know, my children are calling me gracious. But after a while, I said, well, yeah, gracious is all right for a start. But I'm more than gracious. Come on. I was your daddy Warbucks until you were, you know, well into your 20s. I'm rich as far as you're concerned. More than that, I'm, I'm, I'm a hunk. Uh, more than that, I'm, I'm quite intelligent. Still very good looking. And by the way, if you haven't yet learned this, I'm just about always right. So though they said... 
you know, here comes Jim and he's, I mean, here comes dad and he's very gracious. They didn't say he's full of truth. So I'm working on that, okay? I'm working on that, but understand that even those who know me best and love me in spite of my faults, such as my children, when they look at me, they can emphasize one thing, but they can't emphasize the other. They know how often I am not full of truth, but I'm full of something else, full of myself or full of other things. See, they just, they cannot say that about me, but John could say this about Jesus. That he comes and he's full of grace. We love grace. But full of truth means that he was always factually true, but more than that, he was always morally, ethically correct. As an example, God does not lie, neither does Jesus. God does not compromise his moral standard of perfection, neither does Jesus. So Jesus not only, you understand, displays grace and truth, But he says he is full of grace and truth. And from, verse 16, for of his fullness, Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And that's what the emphasis was. But we could also say as we look at Jesus, we've also received truth upon truth. Just by looking at him and knowing who he is. Uh, So what does it mean to be full? What does it mean to be full of grace so that we all receive grace upon grace? As you look at this vase, uh, you, you know, it's beyond, is it half empty or half full, right? You would say, it's almost completely full. Let's, how full is that vase? Come on, come on. How full? Full? Somebody said three quarters? It's actually about, uh, 11 sixteenths, just if you want to know. <laughs> but you're right. It's, you know, and, and you say, boy, that's a lot of water. But to say that it's full, it's approaching full. And as I do this, you can honestly say, you know, it's getting more full. And now you might say, you know, it's about seven-eighths full. And then I keep on pouring, you might say, it's about as full as it can get. Now you're going to say, well, Jim, it's pretty much completely full. Uh Uh-oh, we're approaching virtually full. Now it is essentially full. And for those of you who know physics and you're going to do this surface tension with me, forget it, please, okay? It is full. It is full. But what John is trying to say is, no, that's not full in Jesus' terms. This is full. For from him we all received grace Upon grace. It wasn't the fullness of what was inside of him. It was the fact that he was so full that we received it from him. Fullness in terms of this definition means it's fullness to share. Fullness to slop over. Jesus came so that we wouldn't just look at him and say, now there's a man who's full of grace. But Jesus came so we would be able to say, there's a man whose grace is beginning to affect us. Now, I want to say that because I, I really believe that's fairly important. You see, it's not three quarters full, nearly full, virtually full, completely full. It's overflowing full. And from the fullness of Jesus, 
We get one grace after another, which means grace after grace after grace. To be full of grace means that what flows from him to others is grace. And so understand if we find ourselves showing grace to others, where do we get it? It overflowed to us. Now, I've had a wonderful beginning of, um, uh, of the Christmas season. Uh, you know, you turn on uh, most of the talk shows, or they used to be known as uh, news programs, but now they're talk shows. And, 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 and as you watch them, they, they're all talking about, well, the holiday season is here. Oh, that's wonderful. Holiday meaning holy day, but it's to them it's just holidays. And I understand that as I'm dealing in this culture, I'm dealing with people who have accepted what you might call another worldview, which we've been talking about for the last uh, six weeks. And they come from a worldview where they say, you know, what's really important about Christmas is not that Jesus was God and came to us. What's really important about Christmas is those warm, fuzzy things we do. These wonderful things. So as I look at Jesus... This worldview would say, uh, I can accept the poverty of Jesus and I can accept the humility of Jesus as an example to me. So I can be more giving to others. But what I can't accept is that Christ was God. I can't accept his full deity. That when you talk about from his fullness, we all receive grace upon grace. We can't say that he was full of God. And this is a good time for each of us to sort of examine. When it gets to Christmas, what's our worldview? What do you accept about the person and the identity of Jesus? Is he full of grace and truth? Is he God's expression? Is he God's perfect expression? Because he is God himself. So I, I'm, I, I'm again watching a show, and it's one of these that's, uh, that loves to do the, um, the social media and, and get all this input from people. And the question was, what is your favorite Christmas carol? Now, I'm old. I get that, okay? I'm really, really old. So I don't expect to identify with everybody, but I hear the word Christmas carol, and I think a song about Jesus' birth. Forgive me, please. I mean, this is, I, I, I'm sorry. But every return that was coming up dealt with uh, people such as Mariah Carey, Bing, Bing, Cos, uh, Bing Crosby, the Chipmunks, um, Elvis Presley. And by the way, I like I'll Have a Blue Christmas. with. I'll sing it for you if you ever want me to. I mean, that's a wonderful song. My family won't let me sing it. I'm dying for someone to let me sing it. Or the chipmunks. Or, you know, uh, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Mariah Carey's song, which I guess is the biggest selling Christmas song now, is all I want for Christmas is you. That's, that's great. What's wrong? You know. Not one of them mentions Jesus Born of the Virgin Mary. Not one. So, do I own some of those? Yeah, of course I own them. We'll play them. We'll like them. But not not one of them says, oh, come let us adore him. Not one of them says, come thou long expected Jesus. So, forgive me, but I'm going to call them Christmas songs. 
And what it shows is that, you know, and I meant, again, maybe you're watching some TV shows where there's a war on Christmas. There's not a war on Christmas. It's a redefining of Christmas. I can have a wonderful Christmas without getting all spiritually gooey. And that's essentially what they're saying. I can have a wonderful Christmas without Jesus being the center. And I think over the decades, they've sort of proved that. But this is what it says about him, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So what is it that you might say uh, God is trying to give to us? What is it that we're going to get at Christmas? What is it that God wants us to receive? And again, your children can come right out right now and say, God's gift to us at Christmas was Jesus, right? I mean, they get that one right. But can we go just a little bit deeper and longer on this? Uh, can we look at another author who, who really wants to express what it means to see Christ in his fullness and what it means to experience what God has given us in Jesus Christ? His name is Paul, and he wrote many letters to young churches uh, and a means to encourage them. This one he wrote to a church which is uh, in Turkey, today's Turkey. It was a place called Ephesus near the coast. Um, and he's, he's talking as to them, and he says, here is how I'm praying for you. Now, understand it's not Christmas season because the early church didn't have that focus of, uh, of a special Christmas like we do today. So it's it's really what he wants for them every day, not just the Christmas season. But as he writes to them, he says, here's how I'm praying for you. And this is what I hope you are getting from God. In other words, his gifts to you as a result of your genuine faith. But they, like, like Peter was writing to remind and rekindle them, they've been Christians 10, 20 years at this time. They've been around, uh, you know, and, and, and as he's writing to them, He's saying, here is how I'm praying for you. And I, let me just read that from first, uh, I mean, from Ephesians. And I'm starting, uh, it begins at verse 14, but I'm going to start at verse 16. And here's how he prays for them. He says, I pray that out of, uh, that out of his glorious riches, remember he's full of those, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled, key word again, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, let's get something straight here. Christ's fullness will not be your fullness. Christ has all of God and all of him. We get a thimble. I'll settle for a thimble. We, we get a, 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 a smaller amount because we're smaller. We, we get a smaller amount because we're not God. We get a smaller amount because if we got too much, we'd explode, Okay. Uh, we, we can't absorb that much. It's, it's too great for us. But he's saying, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. And the power comes through the Holy Spirit in your inner being. 
in your inner being so that you may, uh, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that first part is that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, when, when we put our trust in Jesus, he is dwelling in our hearts. So what this is talking about is his first request is that you would have power not, not, not to uh, uh, sort of confirm that he's there, but more and more power so that it would be evident to you and evident to others. The idea is that Jesus is to be more evident because he is dwelling in you. Uh, in politics, we have lobby groups. And in the economy, uh, you know, we understand that the economy has certain influence upon us on the inside. Um, and, and so the issue here is influence. Politics have an influence on us. The economy have an in, it has an influence. Our job has an influence. Our family life has an influence. Our, our financial status has an All of these things are education. And what it's saying is, I want Jesus to have an influence on you because he's dwelling in your heart and I want that influence to increase. I want you to have more Jesus. So that's his first prayer. Dwelling in your hearts. And now he gets to this Wonderful thing. I, I want you to think, what, for you young parents, have you taken your kids to a, a, an animated film and done the, the whole burrito and gone to the 3D version? Right? You've you seen the 3D? Remember, uh, what was it? Uh, Frozen. Elsa is doing Let It Go, and, and she throws that out, and all these sparklies come. Well, if you see it in 3D, you're, it's like you're going to be hit. Right? Whoa, she's after me. It's just a beautiful thing as she sings that song. Well, now, imagine this as he gives these measurements or these uh, means of measurement. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, okay, in other words, because God is in you, there, there is love going on inside of you, that you may have power together with all the saints, not just you, but everybody else there in Ephesus, to grasp or to understand how wide, how long, and how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. In other words, he gives every dimension that he can. He says, I don't want this to be a two-dimensional understanding. I want this to be a whole being, a 3D understanding. Just like in the animated films, I, 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 want, I, I want Christ's love to be jumping out at you and jumping out from you. And the way it happens is it's a matter of the mind. Our thinking, power to know, to grasp, to comprehend with our bodies and our minds what it means to have the love of Christ and, and how great that love is. Friends, I, I, I have to admit, that's not easy for me to think about the love of God and how marvelous it is. And, and sometimes it's like... Sometimes it's like spending an evening with a bunch of nerds. What do I mean? Uh, I, I, I've had a lot of nerdy friends in my life, and I would never qualified. So whenever I was, I mean, whenever I was with them, they were slumming. You get that? Okay. And then they would start their their own language. And, and, and as we would talk through the night, and they would use their own language, which, I, you know, I never learned nerdies. Uh, I found that my eyes began to glaze over and I wanted to look for the football scores. I cannot comprehend. I cannot grasp their talk. Like, for example, 
You know, they were telling a joke to one another, and the, the punchline was, oh, and I thought he said inverted reflux capacitor. And I'm not laughing. They're giggling away. What is the language that makes you understand God's love? What is it? About 20, between 20 and 30 years ago, I was feeling fairly dull. And that's not a good thing to feel when you're preaching a Christmas series. Okay? Uh, and, and I was saying, you know, I, I'm just, just not feeling the love here. You know, it's just not coming through me. And it's, therefore, it's probably not going to be coming out of me. So when it's hard to talk about the love of Christ, just talk about the truth of Christ. Works every time. But people don't leave loving more. They leave just knowing more. Someone recommended to me this guy named Max Lucado, Lucado, whatever you want to call him. And he, he wrote this book, God Came Near. And as I read it, you know, he has things in here of, well, Max just has a way of um, telling stories about the love of God. And so those, even though those would be old to me, uh, he has one here on Mary's prayer and just questioning what Mary, you know, might have prayed as she was beholding Jesus that, that, that first Christmas day. And she has another one about questions that he'd like to ask Mary. And, and, I, and I read that and I said, that imagination, it just awakens me, rekindles in me the love of God. And I would cry. Now, you need to know in seminary we had a phrase. There's no crying in theology. <laughs> theology is, mm, mm, mm. there's no crying. The unfortunate thing is Jesus wept and Jesus sighed. So theologians who don't do that probably aren't experiencing life the way Jesus does. What is it that reminds you and rekindles in you the love of God? What is it that takes you from beginning to comprehend and feel to having it overflow in you so that it's expressed to others? I understand that some of you today are here and you're, you're really wrestling with just the identity of Jesus. Could he be God? Could God be a man or something like that? But this morning is really about the love of Jesus. And by the way, it's okay to, to be struggling and wrestling with that. But this is about the love of Jesus because through the love of Jesus, we understand how God feels about us. The love of Jesus will be found best through his cross. The love of God will be found best and always through Jesus. Jesus and his cross, we understand, was his greatest example of love. He was not executed, but he gave himself away. And here's the prayer, that you would comprehend that love. Comprehend it. What does it take to comprehend something? I'll get to that in just a bit. And verse 19, and to, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of Christ. So, you know, it's like a paradox here. I want you to have and, and understand and grasp and comprehend more the love of Christ, but that love surpasses knowledge. So you're saying, wait a minute, I, I want more, but I can't get it, but I want more, but I can't get it. And, and it, it is a paradox. 
you, you will never be able to absorb all of it or even just probably more than a, than a thimble full. But understand that we will dabble in God's love for the rest of our lives. We'll put our toes into it and see what the temperature's like. Uh, but we will not master it, but we can know it better. And we can live it with greater authenticity. And there's one more thing. Like Jesus, but not the same as Jesus, we can have the fullness of God filling us. Jesus, completely full of grace and truth. Imagine that I just have a little, one of those little Dixie cups, you know, that you get a quick glass of water from. And in that Dixie cup, I'm just putting it right under here, okay? Right under there. Now, this is where it flows over, right under there. And and as we see all of God in all of Christ, and it's flowing over, our Dixie cup is getting filled more and more with the fullness of God. And that means as we find ourselves being filled more and more, other people will like the drink. What does that look like? If we're going to remind and rekindle all this season, what does that look like? Well, it begins with power, and that's called the, the power of the Holy Spirit. But understand that's not a muscle power. Uh, if you want muscle power, go to a gym. Works very good there. But this is brain power and heart power. And if you want uh, to be spiritually stronger, then understand that the, the mind has to put its focus, has to give its attention to Jesus. If he's going to be more in you, your mind has to be more focused on him. And you ask God's spirit to do what you cannot do without God's spirit. The second thing is comprehension. We have power. We also have a comprehension that you desire a greater understanding of the love of Christ. If you do not like Max Lucado, find who you do like. Really. Or, or, or as one person said, I read Luke and I read John and I read Matthew, the first few chapters. It was wonderful. Okay, read those. That's how you get a greater understanding. Everybody I've ever talked to says it takes some time to be alone and it takes some time to ponder God's love, just like Mary in the Gospel of Luke where all these things were happening. It says she took some time, probably still holding Jesus, pondering what people had said about this baby. We won't absorb it all, but we can have more. And I grasp the love of God in my brain. And the more I have it in my brain, the more I exhibit His love in the relationships that count in my life. And finally, the third word is fullness. The fullness of God, which Jesus holds by his nature, is to be overflowing into me. His fullness begins, therefore, to overflow into others. Here's our problem. We think we need to be visited by three ghosts of Christmas to be transformed. It was good enough for Charles Dickens. Hasn't happened to me. So I'm just the same old guy. That's not true. 
It doesn't take three ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. It's a wonderful story. I, you, you might go and read it and realize the transformation that occurred. Uh, but it doesn't take a visitation. It takes you asking and seeking, desiring, and saying, I want to give part of my mind and part of my time to contemplate the love of Jesus that God eagerly brought to us. So, here's something worth praying for. God's power to grasp Jesus' love shown in the fullness of my relationships in the month, this last month of 2014. God's power to grasp Jesus' love demonstrated in the fullness of my relationship relationships in these last and this last month. Let's pray. God's power to grasp Jesus' love in its fullness to be translated into my relationships. Lord, dwell deeply in us. We long to grasp, comprehend your love even if it's just a thimbleful. May the thimble hold just a bit more than it has in the past. Because I want to be a genuine, authentic expression of someone who is being continually filled, continually filled with your love. I pray For those who are still just not sure about who this Jesus is. Lord, may they find themselves this Christmas with people who are. And be willing to listen. And Lord, may those people who are genuinely after you in their lives. May there be a fullness in them that just overflows. Because all of God was in all of Jesus and Jesus is overflowing into us and we are overflowing into others. Do that, Lord, we pray. God's people said, Amen.